matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We are hitting pause today on the summer sermon series that we have been doing on the Ten Commandments. We will um, finish that next week. We have Don't Covet. But today, we are taking just a little break from that in order to live more deeply into the spirit behind it. And I hope that one of the things that you have picked up on as we have moved through the Ten Commandments is that none of them were as simple as they seemed like they were. In 1999-ish, this congregation voted to become an open and affirming congregation, meaning that we not only welcomed people of all um, sexual orientations, races, and abilities, to come here, but that we affirmed their presence here as being people of God and people we could learn from. And later, this congregation knew that they needed to expand that understanding and they added language around gender and gender expression. We are learning how to live more deeply into who God is calling us to be. The Bible has not always been our friends as we have continued this journey. We know as Christians who are anchored in Christian tradition that there are places where we have used Scripture to degrade rather to uplift. But there are also places where it becomes more clear that God's call is towards an expansive vision. And so today we have one of those stories. We have a story in the book of Acts where an apostle comes across an Ethiopian eunuch a person who, because of his culture and his race and his expression and experience of being a man, was somewhat outside of normal society. And I invite you, as you hear this story, to hear how the conversation goes between Philip and this person. This is from chapter 8 of Acts, verses 26 through 40. Then the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Start out and go south on the road that leads down to Jerusalem to Gaza. That's known as the desert road. So he set out and was on his way when he caught sight of an Ethiopian. This man was a eunuch, a high official of the Candic or Queen of Ethiopia, in charge of all her treasure. He had been to Jerusalem on the pilgrimage and was now on his way home, sitting in his carriage and reading aloud the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, Go and join the carriage. When Philip ran up and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I understand unless someone will give me a clue? So he asked Philip to get in and sit beside him. The passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter and like a lamb that is dumb before the shearer. He does not open his mouth. He has been humiliated and has no redress. Who would be able to speak of his posterity? For he was cut off from the world of living men. Now the eunuch said to Philip, Tell me, please, who is that that the prophet was speaking about here, himself or someone else? Then Philip began, starting with the passage, I told him the good news of Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. Look, said the eunuch, 
Here is water. What is there to prevent me from being baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop. Then they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit snatched uh, Philip away, and the eunuch saw no more of him, but went happily on his way. Philip appeared at Antos and toured the country, preaching in all the towns until he reached Sierra. The passage spends a great deal of time telling us about what Philip taught, and it quotes bits from the Older Testament. But what's really important about the passage are the details about who the man was. That's why the passage makes it into the Bible. It is meant to surprise us in a way. It's meant to show us the expansiveness of God's love. And so that's why today Sarah, Reverend Sarah and I have invited Tobias Cahill to join us to share a bit about their experience and also to share with us as the church seeking to learn and to grow in God's love a little bit more about how we can be affirming to other people. And so I know that I speak on behalf of all of you as I welcome Tobias to speak to us today. Thank you, Reverend Amelia. Can you all hear me? Great. I'm honored to be here. Um, Good morning. As Reverend Amelia said, my name is Tobias Jackson Cahill. I'm the president of Boulder County PFLAG. I am a non-binary lesbian mama and gender activist. My friends call me Toby. So call me Toby moving forward. Um, Much like my namesake Tobias from the Old Testament, I've been on a journey to discover my authentic self. And if you aren't familiar with the book of Tobit from the Bible, I highly recommend you check it out. I'm going to warn you, though, you're not going to find it in the Bible in the pews here. You will need to find a copy of the Apocrypha. Today I'm going to share a bit about my story, and I'm going to wrap up with 10 ways that you can support non-binary folks to tie into um, your study of the Ten Commandments. Looking back on my life, I'd have to say that my journey with gender actually started the moment I was born. My mother hadn't settled on a name for me because she was convinced that I was to be a boy, and she had that name picked out for years. And since I was assigned female at birth, she called home soliciting input from my siblings. My brother, who was nearly eight years old at the time, suggested that since I was born on Easter, my name should be Bunny. (laughs) My sister, a bit older as a teenager, suggested the name that I lived with for 52 years, a name that, despite it being mine for all those years, never felt quite right. I grew up in a very racist, homophobic, and yet Christian household. It was drilled in me at a very young age that homosexuality was just as wrong as interracial dating and marriage. Eventually, on my journey of gender and identity, I denounced racism, and after a very long struggle with sexuality and Christianity, I denounced my inner homophobia and came out as a lesbian. I had spent much of my youth pleading with God to make me a boy. Day after day, I looked in the mirror to see a reflection of a person that did not resonate with me. Night after night and year after year, I begged to be different. 
It never happened, despite all my prayers. God simply wasn't listening or was too stubborn to grant my wish. My praying to be a boy eventually turned into my praying for him to take away my feelings for girls and make me normal. I came out in 1985 in the middle of my first semester of my freshman year in Bible school. I was going to be a youth minister. I attended what is now known as MNU, Mid-American Nazarene University in Olathe, Kansas. Shortly into my year, I developed a crush on my RA's roommate, and everyone on my floor found out about it. My crush landed me in the school counselor's office once a week until the second term was over. I begrudgingly spent weekly visits with the campus counselor, reading passages from the Bible about homosexuality being a sin and how it went against God. We prayed for the gay to go away. I had hands-on healing. It was a mild form of conversion therapy, but conversion therapy nonetheless. Never any shock treatments, but the Bible being used as a weapon to make me submissive to the normal gender roles that I was destined to fill according to what say some was God's law. It was a very painful time in my life, one that I'd actually rather forget. For the last 35 years, I have identified as a spiritual being. Think New Age with Buddhism sprinkled with tenets from many religious affiliations. During this time, I also came out publicly as a lesbian. I am legally married to my partner of 21 years, and we have a beautiful assigned male at birth child. I was elated when I learned that we were having a boy. Finally, I'd have someone to go with me to baseball games and car shows, two things that my partner only tolerated. (laughs) But oddly enough, it was this child that led me to where I am today. When our child came out as gender expansive and expressed his early desire to have been born a girl, I freaked out. No lie. I had spent an entire year of telling our son that he couldn't wear pink because pink was for girls. Dresses were for girls. Dolls were for girls. How about this baseball jacket, this Hot Wheel, this whatever it was at the time? I would find myself trying to change his mind and guide him to a more appropriate item suited for a boy. Finally, after having a real honest conversation with a straight male friend, I came to grips with the fact that I indeed was a big lesbian bigot. It had been okay. Yeah, that's funny, right? It it, it had been okay that I had broke out of the gender norms of society by becoming a lesbian, but it was not okay for my son to do so. I'm ashamed that I reinforced the binaries for my own child And more importantly, I was my child's first bully. These are harsh realities for any parent, but especially for one that identifies as LGBTQ. Like my mother before me, I eventually came around. When I made the decision to accept my child, I did it the way I do everything. I did it with my heart in it, 100% all in. I bought him whatever colors he wanted, whatever girl things he had his eye on, We'd go shopping, and he'd run his hand across the fabric of a row of dresses, stating how soft or silky they were. He would buy T-shirts and underwear from the pink aisles, toys too. I sought out support groups and got involved with PFLAG. 
If I was going to have a male child that liked pink, who had lesbian moms, the one thing I knew for sure was that we and he were going to need support. I was thankful that these organizations existed, and I was really thankful that although I never needed PFLAG when I was coming out, I certainly needed it now. I needed it to help me understand my child, my fears, my leftover inner homophobia and bigotry, and to find support with other families like ours. So the five, so for like the past five or six years, um, we have journeyed through gender identities together. And what I didn't know was how what I perceived as my child's journey would affect and include me and then lead me on a journey all of my own. I had accepted my child and embraced gender expression in all of its forms. All of a sudden, I found myself in activism after a 20-year absence. I became politically active again. I learned what it meant to really be an ally and not to just the LGB, but to the T. I learned that wearing a button with the word ally didn't make you an ally. You had to put in the work. Ally is a verb, not a noun. And as much as I wish I could say I had been a good friend to my trans and non-binary friends, I'm not sure I was a good ally. So I threw myself into learning all I could and being the best ally possible. As I said, ally is a verb. So you have to show up and you have to do the hard work. And I'm happy to say that I've done it, but my work isn't over. And just because I now self-identify as trans non-binary doesn't mean that I will stop working as an ally myself. No, I'm going to continue to educate people so that my trans and non-binary friends um, don't have to. I actually enjoy the work. So with that being said, let's get to your list of ten. So when I was asked to speak this morning, it was suggested that I come up with ten ways to help support non-binary people. And coming up with that list of ten was hard. Not because I couldn't get to ten, but because there are just so many ways that you could support non-binary people that I found it hard to narrow it to ten. But these are just some of the ones that speak to me personally, so I'm just going to share them. Um, one, use my pronouns. And not just mine, use everyone's pronouns. And if you don't know someone's pronouns, just ask them. Don't assume to know what they are. So looking at me, you would assume I was female and my pronouns would be she. But I actually identify as they, them, there and non-binary. So it's best to just use they, them, theirs until you do know. Um, trust me when I say this, that misgendering someone by using the wrong pronoun is much worse than just by using they, them, theirs. And also, learn how to pronounce the many different pronouns out there. It's not okay to refer back to he or she just because you can't pronounce zee, zem, zer. And for the English majors in the room, I'll say this. Shakespeare used non-gender pronouns long before our community ever started using them. And we've been using them as a society for centuries. It's also important to point out that some non-binary people don't use any pronouns at all and only prefer to be called by their name. And that is okay, too. And since we are talking about pronouns, one simple and easy way to show your support as an ally is to add your pronouns to your email signature, your bios, your social media accounts, and in this congregation's case, the name tags that you're wearing today. Number two, try not to make any assumptions about 
people's gender. You can't tell if someone is non-binary simply by looking at them, um, just like you can't tell if someone is straight or gay or transgender just by looking at them. There is no such thing as a non-binary look, even though the media portrays us as androgynous, masculine, skinny, white, able-bodied. And although some of this is true, it certainly isn't representative of the entire non-binary community. Um, also, non-binary folks' appearance and gender expression depends on um, their access to um, things like clothes and cosmetics, hormones, accessories. Um, and they also sometimes um, will have a perception of safety or non-safety that makes them choose to look or dress a certain way just to keep them safe, especially in a world where being anything that is not cis, um, which is non-cisgender, uh, could pose um, a problem. Um, and remember, non-binary, it's just one way of choosing a gender that is not male or female. And to put this in perspective, Facebook offers 58 genders on their profile page. That's a lot. Clothing, number three, you can't assume the gender or sexuality of someone by the way they are dressed. Non-binary people can shop in either the male or female section. One thing that helps us feel safer in the world is shopping in stores that don't gender clothes, like Target, for example. Um, it's okay for masculine-looking folks to wear pink and skirts and tights or a dress and makeup, and it's okay for feminine-looking folks to wear a suit and tie and have short hair. Um, I personally am a more masculine-appearing non-binary person. Number four, don't assume anything about my sexuality um, or anybody else's. Understand that there's a difference between gender identity and sexuality. Just like folks that identify um, and live in the binary of he or she, um, non-binary people can identify as any sexuality, including straight, gay, lesbian, bi, or queer. There's also aromantic and asexual. Um, they can also identify as poly, monogamous, and pan. And if you aren't sure what any of those terms mean, I can help define them for you. For me, my gender identity is non-binary, and I identify sexually as a lesbian. Number five, honorifics. Don't always default to salutations or honorifics like Mrs. or Miss or Mr., um, additionally, we're taught that sir and ma'am are polite, especially in the South. But these two words misgender and hurt people all the time. You can stop using them and still be polite. Some non-binary honorifics include mix, spelled M-X, or M. Try incorporating them into your everyday language. And speaking of language, number six, change your language from one seated in the binary to more of a gender-neutral language. One way to do this is by not saying ladies and gentlemen. Um, two of my favorite replacement words are friends or folks. And if you're a teacher, you could replace boys and girls with children or kids. In religious spaces, such as um, in the church like this, you could replace brothers and sisters with siblings. Um, for example, siblings in Christ. Um, or congregation. Um, put some all-gender terms in your personal toolbox. Use non-gender terms for professions such as firefighter instead of fireman or firewoman, uh, or mail carrier instead of mailman, etc. Just try going a day without using gendered language and see your world open up. Retreats. 
I saw this in the back of uh, the morning, the program this morning. Um, so speaking of churches and retreats, one way to help non-binary people in a setting like church is to rethink men's and women's retreats. Not all non-binary people are going to feel welcome in one camp or the other. So include everyone in retreats and let people pick where they feel most comfortable. And if you do choose to still call them men's and women's retreats, make sure that trans men and trans women are comfortable and safe within a retreat of this nature. Um, There can be situations that leave trans and non-binary folks vulnerable to abuse. And um, this is one of those types of settings. Number eight, gender reveal parties. Stop having them, okay? Um, Take it from me, this doesn't make a bit of difference at all. As I mentioned earlier, I was so excited to learn that we'd be having a boy. I'd have a son, we'd play ball, we'd go fishing, we'd go to car shows, we'd do things that boys and guys do. And what I've learned from gender reveal parties is that they are nonsense, Who's to say that your child will identify with the sex they were assigned at birth? Most do, but some do not. When we perpetuate gender reveal parties, we also perpetuate the myth of male and female, um, of pink and blue, of tough and sweet, dolls and balls. It took me a number of years to learn this the hard way and to unlearn it, really. I'm so thankful that my child came out as gender expansive and blew the binary to bits. Yes, we do all of those things that I hope for, but we also wear makeup and paint our nails and talk about fashion and make crafts and knit and read stories about fairies. So the gender reveal party is overrated. So when your friend is going to have a baby, don't ask the gender. And if you do know the gender, buy them stuff in colors other than pink or blue. And if you are a teacher or someone who works with, ch- with kids, stop lining them up by pink and blue or boy and girl. This only perpetuates the binary for the next generation. You may also have a non-binary or trans person in your group, in your classroom, in your congregation, um, and not even know it. And now they feel excluded and invisible. And while we're on the subject, celebrate non-binary parents. Some parents may celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day and some may feel totally uncomfortable and erased. In my house, we celebrate the gotcha day, um, the day that I legally uh, adopted our child. My partner gave birth to him, but I had to adopt him before gay marriage. Um, Check in with your non-binary parent friends to see what feels best. And while we are at it, you can also celebrate uncles and um, nibblings. Um, Uncle is a non-binary alternative to aunt or uncle, and nibbling is an alternative to niece or nephew. Number nine, bathrooms. Understand that for many non-binary people, figuring out which bathroom to use can be challenging. For many non-binary people, using either the women's or the men's room might feel unsafe because others may verbally harass them or even physically attack them. I can't tell you how many times I've received weird looks from being in the women's restroom. It's been my whole life. I certainly don't feel comfortable in the men's restroom. Non-binary people should feel supported by being able to use the restroom that they feel safest in. Call out when single-stall bathrooms have a binary gendered label on them. The single-stall bathroom in your home is all gendered. All bathrooms should be. And on the flip side, if you're in public space and they do have an all-gendered restroom, make a point to thank the person responsible for it. 
And I only bring this up because I hosted an ally group meeting um, in this church last weekend, and I noticed that your restrooms are all binary gendered. Number 10, educate yourself. Google is your friend. Take the initiative to look up questions you have rather than asking someone for the answers unless it's someone like me. I'm an LGBTQ educator, and I welcome your questions. As I mentioned earlier, recognize how often you may attribute a binary gender to your everyday language. Think about how you personally contribute to perpetuating the gender binary. When you do become educated, share your knowledge and resources with other cis folks. Become a teacher, start a conversation, Use your privilege to change the world. Research the history of non-binary identities across cultures. Talk to non-binary people to learn more about who they are. There's no one way to be non-binary. The best way to understand what it's like is to talk with some non-binary people and listen to their stories like you've done today. And as the scripture said earlier, if you don't understand what you are reading or in this case, hearing, I welcome you to come and sit with me, and I'll help explain it to you. Thank you. Friends, will you stand and will you join in singing uh, God of the Prophets, which is in your New Century Hymnal 358, We are only singing verses 1, 2, and 4 today, and we have chosen that scripture uh, particularly as it calls, or the hymns particularly as it calls us to think about listening to prophetic voices and what we do as we move out in the world. As we turn to a time of intentional prayer this morning, keeping in mind those in need of prayer, which may always be ourselves, I wanted to let you know that Marcia's sister Kay, who we have been praying for for quite some time now, um, as she has um, had ALS, has recently died. And so I ask you to hold the family in your prayer, praying for Marcia and praying too for Kay as we trust that she moves on um, into something that we do not know yet. There are other prayer concerns on the back of your bulletin. Please keep those with you this week. We are a community of prayer and we are entrusted to hold one another. This morning, though, I invite you to simply join with me in saying, the prayer that Jesus taught, and you may use whatever words are comfortable for you as they are printed there. Our Creator in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your dream be lived on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, 
and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Friends, we are a people of peace, and we are called to spread that peace. Please rise and greet one another with a sign of peace, whether it is a handshake or a hug or even a high five this morning. Friends, we are a community that is called to spread the good news in all ways, through donations of time and money and items and efforts, through our words and our actions, through learning to be a community together that better welcomes all. And so as you move out into the world this week, I invite you to stay centered in that spirit of expansive living, to look for those who may need to be welcomed and loved deeper, to look for those who need peace, for those who need comfort, and those who need healing. And while I know that it is a big call that we all live into, I trust, too, that the God of light and love and strength goes into each and every one of you. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>